Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Before I get to this week's topic, uh, as you know, <clears throat> the Compliance Podcast Network is always on the lookout for new podcasts. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast but didn't know how? Well, if you've thought about it, please take a listen to this week's sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. In this episode, Matt and I take on the always sexy topic of sub-regulatory guidance. We take a look at the remarks of Principal Deputy Associate General Claire Murray at Compliance Week 2019, where she talked about <clears throat> regulatory guidance, sub-regulatory guidance, what it means, and that in reality, sub-regulatory guidance that <clears throat> does not mimic uh, prescribed law is simply paper. We use that as a dis- starting point for our discussion about how compliance professionals are to interpret this language, what it means in light of the Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs 2019 guidance issued by the Department of Justice in April 2019, the enforcement actions, which talk about best practices, compliance programs, and other information that compliance practitioners receive from the Department of Justice. I know you will enjoy it. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. And we are in, you are in, rather, for a real treat today because we promise to geek out because our topic today is going to be not regulatory guidance, but sub-regulatory guidance and all its flaming greatness and what it may mean for the compliance practitioner. So Matt, uh, with that introduction, first of all, welcome and how was your Memorial Day? Uh, It was good, Tom. We uh, had a very nice, pleasant, quiet Memorial Day weekend here in Boston and the weather was lovely for a change. It is now cold and dreary and rainy yet again in Boston, but that's fine because now we're all back at work. So this is okay. But um, to celebrate the the weekend, it was perfect weather. So Matt, I know you have been uh, thinking about this, writing about this, talking about this for some time. Uh, my interest was really piqued at the <clears throat> Compliance Week 2019 conference when uh, Principal Deputy Associate Attorney General Claire Murray, in her prepared remarks, uh, her keynote speech, I should say, actually talked about uh, guidance, regulatory guidance, and sub-regulatory guidance. And it was probably the first time I remember a DOJer uh, talking about in the minutia uh, those issues. So uh, I wrote about it, and uh, I know uh, you have had several compliance practitioners uh, question you about some of the areas around it. So uh, you want to mm-hmm. start off and see where we can go with this puppy? Yeah, sure. I uh, so I did not hear uh, Miss Murray's speech, but I did read it, and she is only the latest in a somewhat long list of Trump administration people and other 
typical voices in the conservative industrial complex, I would say, uh, who talk a lot about sub-regulatory guidance. Uh, regulatory dark matter is another nice jingo phrase that they are trying to put out there. Uh, but Hester Pierce, commissioner at the SEC, she talks about it quite a lot. Uh, Mick Mulvaney, who is the acting chief of staff for the Trump administration or was the um, acting head of the CFPB. And now I think he's taking over regulatory issues for the Labor Department. Mulvaney, he's all over this, too, about trying to rein in the proliferation of interesting things that compliance officers would probably want to read and talk about that are not formal guidance in that they go through the public comment and notice uh, requirements under the administration administrative procedures act so if it's not that it's everything else and it could be everything else from uh, a speech a commissioner gives including commissioner pierce complaining about too much sub-regulatory guidance uh could be an enforcement action we all read about it could be in my view the evaluation compli the compliance evaluation guidelines the justice department just put out like a month ago or uh the treasury department's guidance uh framework i believe they called it for sanctions compliance programs that they put out on may 2nd all of this stuff did it go through the administrative procedures act no is it still stuff we all talk about yes and now we have people like Ms. Murray saying that, you know, you don't have to take it as gospel, which I had several compliance people I know tell me they had some real issues with that, where she basically said sub-regulatory guidance is not the law, it's just paper. Well, yes, but it's paper that has words on it, which we all ascribe meaning to, and then we try to build compliance programs around it. So when you have somebody who is nominally a senior figure in all of this ethics and compliance world who then says, it's just paper. I can see why some people would be annoyed about that. And never mind that I've got various issues and concerns about how we're treating sub-regulatory guidance as a phenomena. Is it a menace? Is it not? But just right there, I had a couple of people last week tell me like, that really wasn't cool that she said it that way. So it, it uh, I guess it intrigued me, one, that she even talked about it, because that was really the part where I'd not seen a DOJ or talk about it. I'd seen uh, others, that several that you had mentioned, talk about it. But the thing that struck me uh, was, uh, and, I, and I just have to read this just because I want to geek it. Sure. And it, <clears throat> she said, the key to distinguish between regulatory, excuse me, the two categories of sub-regulatory guidance are the part that mirrors the law <clears throat> what the law requires, and everything else. Everything else might be, for example, language suggesting that uh, obligations go beyond what the law requires, language that represents an agency's interpretation on an ambiguity in a statute, regulation, or language where the agency is recommending best practices. The first category, where the guidance is uh, following the law, the response is simple. You want to ensure that your business practices are consistent with that portion of the guidance that mirrors binding law. For everything else, that's where you make a good faith risk calculation, really a business decision informed by legal assessment about whether to follow an agency's sub-regulatory guidance, which may be persuasive, or to take another lawful approach that differs from the guidance. And I guess the a couple of things struck me there, Matt. Um, 
in the original, or I guess we should call it the 2012 FCPA resource uh, put out jointly by the Department of Justice and the Securities and Exchange Commission, they made clear that although they were suggesting the 10 hallmarks of an effective compliance program as a framework for a compliance program, if you had a well thought out uh, 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 approach that you had uh, designed, created, and implemented and tested, that the department would at least consider that. And so I found her words or her thoughts around that you could go in another direction. Once again, if it's well thought out, well designed, and well crafted as an appropriate uh, response from a, uh, not a regulator, but someone from the Department of Justice. And and so that, that was not the part uh, that, I guess that didn't offend me perhaps as much as uh, some of the other people you've talked to. Well, it's it's funny, actually, because uh, I, too, had highlighted some of what uh, Ms. Murray had said, and it I highlighted some of the exact same stuff that you just read off, uh, where she said that there is uh, lawful guidance or guidance that mimics the law, however she described it, and of course you should follow that. Then there's everything else, and for everything else, you make this good faith business discussion d- decision, and maybe you could take another lawful approach that differs from the guidance. Well, like... So at an abstract level, I do understand where she's coming from, and she's not wrong to say it. However, at a practical level, and before I say what's on my mind next, Tom, let me just say for you and all the other lawyers out there who are listening, I do love you all. I think you're wonderful human (laughs) beings. However, this sort of stuff is what drives the rest of us crazy about lawyers, because of course you could make an argument that way. And of course she's going to say that because she is a paid lawyer and she spent before working in justice. She really only worked at uh, outside counsel firms. And this is what lawyers are paid to do is think about alternatives and argue them. Compliance officers or specifically corporate ethics and compliance functions, I would argue, are not merely legal functions. They should not be part of the legal department. I know that they all are, but in the real world anyways, there's much more that you have to think about. Um, And so this just, I don't think her point is really reflective of how a lot of businesses work. Um, As soon as you start to argue that you might want to take another lawful approach, well, you're arguing in favor of taking a risk and, you know, it implies that ultimately the company might be willing to go to trial or some other sort of education or adjudicative uh, hearing to try and get a ruling on whether that other lawful approach worked. That's not what the board wants to hear. That's not what the CFO or the CEO want to hear. Uh, What they want to hear is certainty. So a compliance officer thinking about running a program that is supposed to address many different types of things, including legal risks, but many others that are not legal risks, but they're still a risk. And it's all going to get swept up in an effective compliance program. What's simplest? What is most likely to be viewed as correct by others? What lets you, the compliance officer, provide more certainty to the board? It's doing what the guidance says, not some other lawful approach. And for many companies that already maybe have not had a lawful approach, they haven't had any approach, they haven't thought about a compliance issue before, they're building a compliance department, you're going to go for those things that are simple, most likely to be correct, and probably give you more certainty that you can bring to the board. Yeah, I think we're on the right side of stuff and we're building it. So we're just going to look at what the guidance says. 
And that's how these things take root. And I don't see anything wrong with any of that. But to then stand up and say, well, you don't have to. No, you don't. But what's that got to do with me here in the real world? I think there's a lot of compliance officers, a lot of risk managers, a lot of internal audit people who are all involved in this who are just going to say, this, this doesn't help me. And so therefore, why am I thinking about it? That, that was my take on it. So I certainly agree with your final point that it's not helpful. Uh, and what seems to me to be even more antithetical to the Department of Justice's efforts around the new FCPA corporate enforcement policy is that um, if and and being a good lawyer, I took you know the slippery slope and all of her logic out to its uh, ultimate end result, and you're going to waltz into the Department of Justice and claim that uh, I should receive a declination because I've come up with a better program and I didn't follow your program. Um, That's a pretty ballsy move for uh, someone to make, a corporation to make it, probably a pretty risky move as well. And I don't think the department wants Mm -hmm. people to do that. I think they want them to follow the general parameters of the best practices as they've laid out as they are incrementally uh, improved and adapted to the current business environment. So uh, it seems to me that what she is saying, um, I certainly agree from uh, with my lawyer mind on and my lawyer hat on, but it's uh, not really what the Department of Justice wants either. No, it isn't. Um, and, you know, on a practical level, again, if you waltz into the Justice Department making that argument, um, if you fail, not only have you lost your dispute with them, but, you know, you're going to get fired there. That's that. Um, if you win, congratulations, you probably would have a very lucrative uh, career as a vendor or a talking head. And we'd welcome you on this podcast, I suppose. So you, you can tell us about your secret sauce that you did something better. But you know, that's not how ethics and compliance officers are supposed to function, I think, in a practical way. They serve the CEO and the board to reduce risks. And the best way to do reduce risk is to look at a roadmap of what people have done before you. And there are plenty of FCPA enforcement decisions. There's plenty of FCPA guidance and you're going to follow it. And it's just like, that's just the way it is. So, you know, I I just kept on coming back to this discussion about sub-regulatory guidance only being paper. Um, It really doesn't tell a compliance officer anything you shouldn't already know. And it doesn't help you with anything you actually have to do. So how do I get the two minutes back of my life that I spent reading that words, those words and trying to understand them? Because that's, that's really it. You know, it's, take your two minutes and reread the enforcement evaluation guidelines because that's much better. Take your time and reread the OFAC framework for effective sanctions compliance because that's great stuff. A lot of the guidance that they are putting out is great thought-provoking stuff. But for us then to sit around and say, it doesn't really matter. You know, if you can come up with a better solution, that's fine. But um, look, if you build a better mousetrap or a better horseshoe, okay. But most of us, mousetraps and horseshoes that are out there, they're going to kill the, the mice and shoe the horse. So just use what you already got. I'm not sure that I could really top uh, shoeing a horse and or trapping a mouse. <laughs> You're definitely on a roll. So um, it was a somewhat uh, interesting uh, in her speech, uh, her speech, because she talked about the need for robust compliance. And, uh, and she also talked about some of the changes in the False Claims Act. Mm-hmm. 
And then she, uh, for the first time I can recall, uh, uh, gave a, a sneak preview, if I could use that phrase, of a potential change to the antitrust division's leniency policy, which had previously been only available to the first uh, cartel member who came in and confessed. And uh, apparently now the antitrust division is going to put a having a pre-existing compliance program in as part of the leniency program. So um, some of the internal dissonance of her speech uh, with these inconsistencies, um, perhaps I'm even more confused than I was when I heard it. I mean, I, to a certain extent, th- think that, um, I don't know, the, the speech had a ring of being politically correct for the times that we have in Washington. A Republican enforcer in the Trump administration Justice Department, Justice Department cannot skid up and say, take sub-regulatory guidance seriously because it's good stuff and you know we spend time thinking about it and we'd like you to do what we recommend you do. That's a perfectly sensible thing to say, except you can't say it in Washington, D.C. right now. You have to stand up and say, sub-regulatory guidance is only paper. But um, that aside, and you know, and I have seen uh, that those hints being dropped that we're going to maybe revisit antitrust compliance. That also seems of a piece of where the Trump administration is going. Where it's going generally, again, I don't think it's a bad idea. If you want to lay out clear guidance, there said it again, uh, clear guidance of what you would like to see companies do, and then give them lots of rewards for that. That is every bit as valid as punishing them for non-compliance. I would even say it's better. So all of this guidance that's coming out, I think this is this is awesome stuff. What a wonderful time to be a sanctions compliance officer if you have this new OFAC guidance out. Um, and I think that we will see more enforcement actions that reward that way. Tom, we haven't even talked about this yet, but State Street Corporation today just won a very easy, favorable a uh, sanctions compliance issue with no penalty involved because they basically tried to do what the OFAC guidance from May 2nd has said. And so, you know, you're going to see more of that. Um, and then I just keep coming back to the fact that ethics and compliance programs are about reducing risks and guiding a whole large enterprise so that it has a more certain environment in which to operate and therefore, you have a strategic edge over your competitor. A lot of nice MBA business speak words, but they do actually make sense and have meaning. But you know, effective ethics and compliance programs are not about being proven right in a court of law. They're about steering a large organization of human beings to a certain code of conduct, certain behavior of conduct, so you can bet more safely on certain outcomes. A lot of that has nothing to do with the law. So who cares whether you can find another lawful uh, explanation or not? This is more about what works. Well, a lot of what the compliance uh, guidance comes out, a lot of what the guidance that is coming out these days is, like it's good stuff and it works. So why wouldn't you say pay a lot of attention to it? I get that she can't, but that's where I am on this. Well, it's certainly uh, an interesting topic for us to debate uh, when you put out uh, sub-regulatory guidance in the form of an evaluation of corporate compliance programs 2019 guidance, uh, and that then have uh, the person uh, who's above you in the Department of Justice say, uh, "Just kidding, really." Um, yeah, <laughs> it's just paper. Well, you know, I also hearken back. I know I've spoken this to this before, but in April, 
the White House put out a proclamation that all guidance that agencies put out, all agencies, including the independent ones like the SEC, um, that they were supposed to submit these for review to the White House so it could see whether this was a major regulatory effort or not. And the language of that memo and the language of the Congressional Review Act are all very broad that the guidance that uh, they put out for the evaluations of compliance programs that should have gone to the Justice Department, to the White House for review. I'm willing to bet it didn't. And I know that they're going to split hairs, that this was more an internal memo for Justice Department employees that we happen to share with people. Like, it's, that's baloney. Like, there's a lot of talk about sub-regulatory guidance so that we can clobber regulations we don't like clobber pronouncements we don't like. But when we do have pronouncements we want to put out, we're going to put them out anyways. And then occasionally we'll stand up on stage and say it's just paper, but it's not. And I think anybody who would just say it's just paper, we're going to make up something else and see if it sticks. Dude, that's your career, not mine, but I wouldn't do it. And I don't think uh, we can improve upon that ending. So I think we're just going to end it there. That was great. So once again, Tom Fox, Matt Kelly, another episode in the can. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Compliance into the Weeds. We'll link to uh, Deputy Attorney General uh, Murray's uh, speech in the show notes. And if you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I hope you'll join us again next week when Matt and I take a deep dive into another compliance-related issue. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network and now part of the C-Suite Radio Network as well. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.